This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, as we consider promises that God has made to us, there are a few that stand out as particularly impactful, if you will. The promise to have our sins remitted is is possibly among the greatest promises. Uh, We know that we can have those sins remitted when we are obedient to the Lord and always that he expects us to be, be obedient. Another promise that we have uh, from the Lord serves as a great motivating factor to get us to live in the way that the Lord wants us to live. And that's the promise of his return. And I don't know if we think about it much, but is there anything that should or does motivate us more to live in a proper manner than knowing that Jesus is going to return? He said he would. In John 14, in the first three verses there, I've got four verses down. I don't know why I did that, but it's the first three verses we want to consider. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. I will come again. Jesus said that. That's a promise. And we know that. And we understand that. And we appreciate that. And we, we, in many ways, look forward to that day. But not everybody does. Not everybody believes that day is coming. Some of us who do believe that day is coming sometimes take actions, say words, have attitudes that indicates otherwise. And that's what I want us to consider for a little while this morning. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, Peter says, Knowing this first. What? Knowing this first? Now I think you're going to find it interesting what he's about to say. But what I want you to consider is he says, Knowing this first. This is important. This is important. Peter said, knowing this first, knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust. You know what they're scoffing about? You know what they will be scoffing about? The Lord's return. Oh, you don't believe that. That's that's old. That's old. People used to think that way. Nobody thinks that way anymore. Get on the new world. Get with the new attitude. I've heard people that want to scoff at God so badly, they talk about the sky daddy. You believe in your sky daddy? Yes, I do. I sure do. But people scoff. Now, I don't know how we look at it, scoffers. I don't know how we, we think what we think about that. Maybe, maybe you think, well, I don't care. And quite possibly that's the attitude we should have. But sometimes it does affect 
us. Sometimes it wears us down. It's especially impactful sometimes with young people as they are trying to grow and gain knowledge and, and grow in the, in the understanding of what God has purposed for their life. To have someone to approach them and scoff at the Lord's return or scoff at God in general, sometimes it's, it has a negative impact. Sometimes to us old hats that have been around forever, we get tired and people scoff and we get tired of people scoffing and it has a negative impact on us. Peter said, knowing this first. This is something that he thought was important. Something, something that he thought that we should pay attention to. And you know what? He didn't just say we ought to pay attention to it. He gave us admonition concerning it a lot of the scriptures that we're going to consider this morning here in in 2nd Peter chapter 3 about the first nine verses is what we're going to consider this morning you're going to see a lot of scriptures in there that you recognize a lot of scriptures that you can quote from your heart but have you ever looked at them in the context of what Peter's talking about here. I got to tell you, I, I think I failed in that regard. And I found it very interesting. Some of the scriptures that came to light and then considering them in the context of, of what Peter was talking about here. Scoffing at the Lord's return. You know, as we wait on the Lord's coming, uh, we're faced by those that would ridicule, mock, deride, you can use any word you want to. But they they ridicule the hope that we have. And Peter addresses this. And as he's addressing it, he goes back to something that he has repeated throughout the second epistle of verse Peter, and he does it with one word. I'm backing up here. Remember. One simple word. Remember. And he's used this before. In 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15, he uses it not one, not two, but three times. He says, I will not be negligent to put you always into remembrance. He says, to stir you up by putting you into remembrance. In verse 15, he says, to have these things always in remembrance. Do you think he thought it was important? To remember what had been said back by the prophets, by the apostles, as we'll see here in a little bit. He said, remember. And now he does it again. <clears throat> this second epistle, beloved, I now write to you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. We need to remember you know what that means? We need to be mindful of. We need to think about. We need to consider. We need to know. We need to understand the words that were written. The words that were spoken of by the holy prophets. You know, Peter may have been referencing New Testament prophets here. He may have been re referencing both New and Old Testament prophets. But he said... I would stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. 
Now verse 2 says that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets. No matter which prophets. The Old Testament prophets serve as examples or in samples for us. The New Testament prophets speak of, of Jesus' imminent coming, of his life on the earth, what he was going to do, his ministry, and what was going to happen after he ascended back into heaven. That's what the New Testament prophets spoke about. That's what the apostles spoke about. We're to be mindful and remember what the, what the apostles Spoke of, also in verse 2, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Remember those. Remember those things. Jude, in his epistle, spoke almost the same words. He said, Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken of, spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think it's important to remember those teachings, those words? Why is it important? Because it helps us overcome. It helps us get past the scoffers. It helps us have that attitude of, I don't care. I don't care if you scoff. I don't want you to scoff, but I don't care if you do. It has no effect on me. It helps us gain that attitude. What we want to avoid is the point where it does affect us. That's what we want to avoid. <clears throat> 2 Peter 1 and 19. <clears throat> We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. What? You take heed, you remember, you listen. As unto a light which standeth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Peter here in the first chapter is talking exactly about what we're speaking about. He says we have a more sure word of prophecy. What? How do you have a more sure word of prophecy? Is prophecy not sure? It's either sure or it's not sure. It's either prophecy or it's false prophecy, right? How can you have a more sure word of prophecy? Well, because by the time that Peter had written these words, Jesus had lived on the earth. He had fulfilled many of those prophecies, most of those prophecies. He had lived his life. He had had his ministry. He had been crucified on the cross. He had shed his blood. He had brought salvation to mankind. Peter said, we're sure. Before it was prophecy. Now it's not prophecy anymore. We've seen it. We know what happened. The prophecy has been fulfilled. A more sure word of prophecy. <clears throat> Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that they, the apostles, now then we, the apostles, are ambassadors for, the, for Christ. We know what an ambassador is, don't we? He's a messenger. He delivers a message to someone else. We know the old saying, don't shoot the messenger. That's how the apostles felt a lot of times. They were just delivering a message. A message that they were inspired and commanded to deliver. And they were doing their job. Today we're the same way. We're trying to deliver a message. Sometimes people want to shoot the messenger. They want to scoff. And they want to ridicule. Paul said we're ambassadors. He also said as though God did beseech you by us. 
Paul said the words that they had, the words that they wrote, the words that they gave, should be regarded as if they're straight from God, because they were. God inspired them. God commanded them to write those words, to speak those words. He also said, we pray you in Christ's stead. Paul said if Christ was here, he'd be saying what we are saying. If Christ were here, he'd be doing what we are doing. We're just in his stead because he's ascended back to heaven. What was the admonition? Be ye reconciled to God. That's the admonition that they were giving. That's the admonition that we should be giving today. Be ye reconciled to God. Those who were obedient to the word of the Lord on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says in Acts 2 and 42, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Isn't that what we should do today? Shouldn't we continue steadfastly? Isn't that what's most important for us to continue steadfastly? Isn't that what's going to have the most effect on us trying to endure people that scoff, that ridicule, that deride us? To continue steadfastly. That's how you deal with that. If we remember and we're mindful of the apostles' words... Scoffers will be expected. You know, I heard a a guy say one time, uh, those who would cause trouble are not much trouble for those who are ready for it. You know, that's, that's pretty good. If we know scoffers are coming, then we expect it and we're ready for it. And it doesn't have a negative impact on us, right? <clears throat> Peter said in verse, verse, 2 Peter 3 and verse 3 that they're coming in the last days. What days are we in? We're in the last days, aren't we? <clears throat> Jude wrote again the same thing in Jude 18. How that they told you <clears throat> there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. A warning. It's going to happen. If you expect it, you can deal with it. Another old saying, always expect the unexpected. Expect it. Understand it's going to happen. In Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, there on the day of Pentecost again, as Peter, again, was speaking to the group that day, he said, but this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Peter's quoting prophecy back in the Old Testament. He says, and came, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And we know that scripture. We've Read it and quoted it many times. Do you know why, do you understand why Peter said those words? Do you know why, what it was written in response to? Have you ever thought about that? What was Peter responding to when he said those words? Verse 13. 
earlier. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. These men are not spiritual. They're drunk. They're just drunk. That's all it is. They mocked them. They mocked the thought that Jesus was crucified on the cross, that he was the Messiah. They mocked at it. Peter said, listen, this is the day that the prophet Joel spoke of. This is what you're seeing right here, right now. He was ready for it. He understood it was going to happen. He was prepared, and he had an answer. Why are we shocked? Why are we shocked that people ridicule uh, as life continues? You might wonder what's their motivation behind this scoffing. Why are they motivated to do such things? You know what Peter says. Walking after their own lusts. He gives you the answer to that. Now you know why they scoff. Knowing that the coming of the Lord is designed to judge the ungodly, maybe they scoff to try to soothe their guilty conscience. I don't know. Maybe that's one reason. Maybe they scoff because they have a strong desire to not be in subjection to anyone, including their creator. Maybe that's why they scoff. But Peter says it's all about them. It's their lust. Their ungodly lust. That's what makes them do that. You know, Peter even goes on to tell us the argument that they're going to use. Verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Can't you just hear him? I can. I've heard it before. Talking about the coming of the Lord. Ha <laughs> ha, where is this coming? Where is it? For since the fathers have fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. He's not coming. Nothing ever changes. The world's just like it is. The world continues on. That's their argument. Knowing this argument helps you prepare for it. Only if you remember the admonition of the prophets and the apostles. For instance, I'll give you a couple examples. Let's remember that God's word is consistent. It's consistent. So when the scoffers argue that all things continue, all things are the same, nothing's ever changed since the beginning, they overlook one little detail. Verses 5 and 6. For this they willingly are ignorant. Peter says they're willingly ignorant. What does that mean? Well, being willingly ignorant actually means that you know the truth. You just won't recognize it. You won't abide by it. You want to shove it into some far corner of your mind and forget about it. That's willingly ignorant. 
He says, of that the, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. What does that have to do with scoffers? Because they say nothing's changed. Everything has been the same since the creation. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. You forget the flood. Flood changed everything. The flood wiped everything out. And the world started over again. It hasn't remained the same since the beginning. God's will has. But the age of the earth hasn't remained the same. Things haven't remained the same. The world was destroyed by flood. Everything perished. They purposefully choose not to remember an event that proves their argument wrong. Absolutely. Of course, their desire is not to find the truth. Their desire is to justify their lifestyle. That's what their desire is. Many people today resort to the same tactics. They conveniently ignore evidence that weakens their case. They ridicule. They scoff. They mock. They oppose those things rather than dealing with them fairly and seriously. Let me tell you what the flood is evidence of. The flood is evidence of the certainty of God's word. That's what the flood is evidence of. God's word, by God's word, the world was once destroyed by water. This is not a new topic for Peter. He's already brought it up. In 2 Peter 2, chapter 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. It's a warning to those that would live ungodly lives. It's a warning to all who would ridicule and scoff at the, at the promise of the Lord. Now in verse 7, Peter declares, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The same word that promised a flood that was going to wipe out the earth, that same word now promises that the earth is going to be reserved today when it's going to be destroyed with fire. It's the same word. Same word promises the same thing. The same word promises that the Lord is returning. He's coming again. And he's going to execute judgment upon mankind because we're reserved and to fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. It's the same word. So since God kept his promise to destroy the world by flood, why is it that we think that he won't do it again with fire? He said he wouldn't destroy it with, flood, with water again. We said, I'm going to destroy it with fire the next time. 
We expect him to keep his promise, don't we? But the scoffer, he says, it's been so long. It's just been so long since that promise was made. You know, that's, that's kind of a, a reasonable, that's kind of a valid argument. It has been a long time, according to men. It's been a long time. For us today, it's been about 2,000 years since the promise of the Lord's return was made. That's a long time. It's been about 2,000 years since he promised that he would come again and destroy the world with fire and pronounce judgment on mankind. A long time. Peter addresses that argument as well. He says, remember that God is not affected by time. You know, unlike man, God is not a creature of time. To us, it's all about time. We're either ahead of time or we're behind the times. We either don't have time or we've got too much time. We waste time. We have spare time. We kill time. Everything's about time. Not with God. Time has no meaning to God. We need to remember that. It's very important that we remember that. We'll see that in a few moments. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. It's one of those scriptures I said you could quote. We know it well, don't we? We also know how mankind uses it, don't we? Mankind will take that scripture that Peter wrote in his epistle and they'll try to apply it to the creation. Well, God said he created the heavens and the earth and on the first day. That, that was probably several thousand years, maybe 10,000 years. So that gives us license to say that the world is billions of years old because it took billions of years for God to create everything. Because one day is like a thousand years. That's not the context Peter's writing this in. There are also those that say that prophecy is a, a day in, in prophecy is a thousand years in fulfillment by this scripture. So what someone prophesied a long time ago, it takes thousands and thousands and ten thousands and hundred thousands of years for that to be fulfilled. Is that what Peter's talking about here? With the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You know, this is not some kind of formula used for interpreting Scripture. It's not some kind of formula used for Telling us what prophecy means. That's a twisting of the scriptures. If that were true, then why would it not be just as easily to say a thousand years in prophecy equals one day in fulfillment? It's the same thing. The context of, of verse 8 here makes the efforts to stretch and twist the scriptures very clear 
the point, the point that Peter's trying to make here is time is irrelevant to God. Time has no bearing to God. So while it may have been 2,000 years since the promise of the Lord's return has been made, it doesn't mean anything. To God, that's no different than two days or two minutes. Psalms 90 and verse 4 says, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Time doesn't matter to God. Another 2,000 years could pass, and God's word wouldn't be changed one ounce. Nothing would change with God's word. It would be the same as it has always been. You know, we can see this, we can understand this by Scripture. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, a promise was made by God to Abraham. When he said, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you know it was about 2,000 years before that promise was fulfilled? Now, I'm not saying that means that the world's about to come to an end because it's been 2,000 years since the promise of the Lord's return. I'm just trying to point out to you that time has no relevance to God. Who would have thought when he made that promise to Abraham that it would be 2,000 years before it was fulfilled? God made a promise to the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 15 when he said, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and you shall bruise his heel. It took 4,000 years before that prophecy was fulfilled. Time has no meaning to God. God kept his promise about the first coming of Christ. Is it not reasonable? Is it not true that he will keep his promise of Christ's return and of judgment? Peter continues on with how God responds to the passage of time. And he says we need to remember that God is long-suffering and not slack. You know that scripture too, don't you? Have you ever thought about it in the context, context of people scoffing at the Lord's return? We pull that, that scripture out and apply it everywhere. And, and that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong, but this morning, we're going to look at it in the context of what Peter was teaching about here, son. <clears throat> Some think the Lord is slack concerning his promise. Mankind especially thinks that the Lord is slack. But Peter said in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, it's been about 2,000 years since this promise was made. And I suppose that mankind considers that a waste of time. Consider that slack, slackness. Maybe the Lord's asleep. Maybe he's gone on vacation. 
Maybe he's just forgot about us. Maybe he's not concerned about mankind anymore. You know, people feel that way sometimes. I suppose man thinks that, that the Lord is slack. But Peter says that there's another reason for the delay. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why Peter says the delay. Peter says that the Lord wants everyone to have the opportunity to repent. That's why he delays. So let me ask you a question. And I've been guilty of the same thing. Not making accusation against anybody. I felt the same way. But when, when we say, I don't understand how the Lord can let the world go on. The world is so evil. It's so bad. Things are so bad. People are so evil. Why don't the Lord come today and end it all? Are you scoffing at the Lord? Because Peter said he's waiting for people to repent. And you want him to deny people that opportunity? You want the Lord to take away people's opportunity to repent? The Lord knows all kinds of things that you and I don't know. Maybe he knows that a a child is going to be born a thousand years from now that is going to be the greatest motivator and the greatest worker for the kingdom of God that has ever been. Maybe he knows that. And here we are, Lord just needs to end it now. Things are so bad, why don't he just end it all? I'm ready to go home. Well, you can be ready to go home, but is everybody else ready to go home? But because the Lord is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to perish. So he's giving them time. He's giving them the opportunity. God is a just God. But he's also a merciful and loving God. His justice system requires judgment and punishment of ungodly people. His love and mercy is willing to give them time to repent. He suffered a long time. He suffered a long time. He's long-suffering, but he did it for his desire for people to repent. And you know that ought to be a motivating factor. If you hadn't repented, count your blessings because God is long-suffering. Because at his appointed time, you won't have that opportunity anymore. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of his long and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's only by the goodness and the grace of God that you and I have the opportunity to repent. That's the only reason. And on the appointed day when God decides that's enough, it'll be enough. You know, I don't know why we take this on ourselves to decide when the Lord ought to come. 
It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. You know, Jesus was speaking to Peter, I believe it's in the, in the book of John, and, and Peter, uh, Jesus was telling Peter some things that were going to happen to him, some things that, that were going to occur in his life, and they weren't all pleasant. They, they weren't all going to be fun. And as Jesus was speaking, Peter turns around and looks at John, and he says, what about that guy? What's that guy going for? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, if I will, that he remain until I return. What is that today? What business is that of yours? Well, I ask you the same question this morning. What business is of yours when the Lord returns? That's not our, that's not our problem. That's not something we need to worry about. He'll take care of that in his own good time. <clears throat> At some point, though, God is going to end his long-suffering. <clears throat> and then we find some problems. Romans 2, chapter, verses 5 and 6. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. To the scoffer, to the one that despises the grace of the Lord, he's treasuring up to himself wrath. Well, that's a, that's a good thing to, to be building up equity in, isn't it? Because God did not want those of Peter's day nor our day today, nor anyone ever, to be discouraged by those who would scoff, who would ridicule, who would mock the Lord's return. Peter's left us these words to consider and to study. And he said, remember. And he said, remember that scoffers are to be expected. Expect the unexpected. <clears throat> He said, remember that God's word is consistent. The earth has changed. The flood changed it. But God's word has never changed. It is consistent. Remember that God's not affected by time. Maybe a problem for us. It is a problem for us. But it's not a problem for God. Time is not a problem for God. And remember that God is long-suffering. He's not slack. He's not asleep. He's not, he's not not paying attention. He's paying attention. Believe you me, he's paying attention. He's not slack. If you remember those things, then those who would scoff, those who would ridicule and mock, don't have much of a bearing, do they? Let me ask you this morning as we wrap this up. <clears throat> Has the thought of the Lord's return and the day of judgment stirred you up. That was Peter's purpose in the beginning of this study, to stir you up, to bring you into remembrance. So when you think about the Lord's return, when you think about impending judgment, does that stir you up? Something else that you should remember is the fact that the Lord wants you to be saved. 
He wants you to be saved. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, he said, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. That's what the Lord wants. He wants you to lay up for yourself and treasure for treasure in heaven. But I'm going to tell you this morning, treasure is being laid up. Whether it's in heaven, whether it's not. And for those that despise the Lord's coming, Romans 2 and 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. Something is being treasured. Something is being stockpiled. Something is being built up. What is it in your life? What is it for you? How much better would it be to receive redemption and obedience to the gospel of the grace of God in Ephesians 1 and 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace? How much better to receive that? You know, Peter, again on the day of Pentecost, told those listeners to save yourselves from this unto your generation. Save yourselves. Nobody can save you. People can try to lead you to righteousness, but nobody can save you. That's up to you. It's your decision. But that's what Peter told those people of that day. Save yourselves. You know what he said those words in response to? The crowd cried out, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Part of Peter's response was, save yourselves. Now, he told us how to do that. In verse 38, when he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I ask you this morning, do you need to be reconciled to God? Do you need to repent of your sins? Do you need to have your sins washed away this morning? Because the Lord stands ready to do that. Those on the day of Pentecost couldn't wait. They couldn't wait to have their sins remitted. What are you waiting on this morning? One day the Lord's suffering will end. What have you treasured up for yourself when that day comes? Do you remember the words of the Lord, even those that came through the apostles? Why don't you remember the strength this morning that you get from the word of God and let us help you with whatever you may need help with. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.